Hi, and welcome to WRBH's The Writers' Forum. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'll be speaking with Tulane professor and author Lady Hubbard, whose debut novel, The Talented Ripkins, about a black family from Florida known for their superhero-esque talents and traits, was just released. Lady is the winner of the 2016 Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award and the William Faulkner William Wisdom Creative Writing Competition for the short story. And she lives here in New Orleans. <clears throat> How are you doing today, Lady? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. I'm glad to see you're here. I know you just got back into town very, very recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how was that that tour for the book? Oh, it's it's been fine. It's been a bit hectic. So I just got back um, last night. I was at the Harbor Springs Book Festival in in Harbor Springs, Michigan. Interesting. Is mm-hmm. it kind of, I know this being your debut novel, is it interesting for you to kind of gauge people's reactions in person versus, you know, like kind of written correspondence and such? Um, yeah, I think all all reactions are interesting to me because it's such a solitary undertaking to write it. So um, even just reading reviews of it is um, is pretty interesting. It's interesting to meet people and also to read the reviews because, um, I mean, it's actually been very good so far. I mean, people have, have seemed to respond to it in a way that I'm comfortable with, I'll say. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> good. I mean, you know, it's, it's out of your control right. a lot of the time, so all you can hope for is comfort and, right, you know, right. the reactions then. Yeah. So it, it, it has so far, it's really felt like people do um, appreciate what I was trying to do with the, with the book. Well, so that's that. nice. Um, you started mainly in, in academic kind of for your, for your profession, looking at academic issues. What made you want to transition into to writing, getting an MFA itself? Um, well, I always wrote fiction, and um, for pretty much the entire time um, when I was a, a quote-unquote academic, I wrote short stories and, and poems. And then at a certain point, I realized that I really wanted to write um, this novel. So I think that going to get an MFA was um, a way for me to just take two years to to really focus on on trying to write a piece of long fiction, which was kind of an enormous undertaking for me. And I realized I, I just I needed to focus on that for a while. And I'm I'm really glad I, I made that decision. Uh, it would have been much harder to to complete um, the book. And I'm sure it would have taken years longer if I hadn't done that. No, I, I can imagine yeah. the schedule uh, in, in a professorship is so uh, so much of your time is already consumed there. You know? Right, and I I also have three children. Too, yeah, they, so. they don't help, do they? Well, <laughs> in, in, weirdly, in some ways, they do help. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. It's a lot of um, motivation, and I, I I always tell people that I I probably procrastinated a lot more before I had children because I didn't really appreciate um, how precious time is just having you know a little time to myself to do something like this like work on a creative project um during a, a day is, is really a gift to me now and when i was younger before i had children i don't think i really um appreciated that i could so. see that really setting the constraints mm. there you know yes. parameters yeah interesting um well, to kind of get into the book a little bit um it was partly inspired by W.E.B. Du Bois' famous The Talented Tith Essay. Yes. Um, yeah. Could you talk about like how that kind of impacted you and how it kind of brought about some of the ideas in this book? Um, well, the do you know you know about the what the essay is about? And, okay. Yes. Sorry, I have to go into it. Um, <laughs> no, it, I, I was very I have 
taught it, actually. And and so I was interested in the essay and um, also people's reactions to it and sort of how the reactions seem to relate to, um, I don't know, perceptions of, of the black middle class in the United States and um, sort of cultural identity. And um, I, I, I've thought about it off and on a lot. And um, it's just, um, I think several other things um, happen. I, I was thinking about my grandfather as well and sort of there. See, they, I think a, sometimes the association, because the essay is often, um, when taken out of context, people might think it's very elitist. Um, but it really is about education. So I think that part of the connection, because I've also said that a lot of the inspiration for it is from my um, grandfather. Um, and they really, my grandfather really did not, was not interested in, in money, but they did really fetishize education. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think I was trying to write a little bit about him and sort of different attitudes that I've heard expressed in my family about the value of um, just education um, and sort of how that relates to ideas about um, class in the United States and uh, and identity issues in the United States. Um, so it was really just thinking about the sort of the interplay of all these different ideas that that came together in my head yeah. and and and. Um, manifested themselves as as this book. You can see that being able to work out those ideas in, yeah. a, in a fiction kind of format. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I can understand that. It's interesting about the essay, and you mentioned placing it in a context, dealing with education, because mm -hmm. it, with a regular reading, it talks about a tenth of people that are above the rest. Right, uh, right. Taken out of context, that, that seems very, you know, elitist and very much based on class. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's, um, because in context, it's a pretty um, desperate Plea. Because at the time it was written, um, there were a lot of people who, there were very few educational opportunities for African Americans in the South. And um, I think it was written for a specific audience. Um, I know his, his own attitudes towards it. He's expressed different things about it. But I, I, I do sort of really think about um, what the circumstances were when he when he wrote it and I, I think that it sort of gets um lost sometimes when people look back on it now yeah. so it's very um different time period to, to sort of look at the words on the page and not really think about um the context for them so that's that's that yeah no i think that's great <laughs> the nuances are lost a little bit the, a lot of it yeah. yeah or the circumstances and sort of the um um the consequences, maybe like what 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 was really at stake yeah. at that time for him and for a lot of a lot of people, um, my grandfather included. So that's that's part of where that comes back to. So no, and, and speaking of your grandfather, mm -hmm. um, he served as a major uh, inspiration for for one of your main characters, Johnny, in this. Uh, could you talk about that and kind of you know how how his his person brought that out for you? Yeah. Um, in some ways, it's very interesting because in some ways they're they are nothing alike. Um, but I think Johnny has a lot of he had definitely shares um, in terms of speech patterns. So the dialogue feels very much like like my grandfather. He talks the way my grandfather talks, and also 
um, certain elements of, of his personality, certainly the, the care that he tries to show um, his niece, Eloise, is, is very, that feels very familiar to me. Uh, in other specs, they're totally different yeah. people. Uh, my grandfather was actually a, a chemistry professor. <laughs> so, so not a burglar. No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, yeah. And he was, a, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because they don't actually ever refer to themselves, the characters in the book. Um, they sort of have these talents, these powers, but they never refer to themselves as, as superheroes. Yeah. And I don't think that that wasn't exactly what I was trying to convey with that. But at the same time, it's true. They were, um, he was a larger than life figure to me yeah. because of, of what he meant to me and sort of the, I took a lot of inspiration from, from his life and the things he had gone through to achieve his, his goals, sort of the tenacity. Um, and also I, I must say the fact that it was definitely um, the vision of himself that he had was definitely his vision. And he really struggled to, to realize it. Um, and I don't think a lot of um, people really understood or appreciated what he was trying to do. And that meant a lot to me as well, yeah. that he kept going despite that and, and despite really great, great obstacles to achieve his goal. No, so. I think that's important. Mm. Um, and it's interesting you, you mentioned that idea that these people that you're inspired by, they don't actually have superpowers. But in writing about it, uh, when you put those kind of abnormal things into a book like that, you're able to hone in more on those kind of familial structures as well as like more interesting topics and a little bit finer tuned point, which is interesting. How was that writing for you, like trying to balance this realism with this kind of abstractness? Right. It really felt very natural to yeah. me to, to give them these um, gifts that they, you know, it's like these are wonderful blessings in a sense, but it's also, um, it's, a, you know, they don't, part of their struggle as a group is trying to figure out what to do with them, like how to best, why do, why am I like this and how do, how do I utilize, or I don't know, like what, what is this talent? What does it actually mean? Yeah. Um, and, and in a certain respect also too, it, I think that, um, it is really who they are. It's not just, you know, a gift they have that's distinct from the rest of their personalities. It really is, um, or has had a huge impact on how they sort of negotiate the world. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think that that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it also, it does again, tie into the talented tense or yes. the natural endowment and, <laughs> playing with that a little bit. So, but yeah. Well, uh, for, for, for listeners that are interested, I was, I was wondering if you could describe some of these powers, which are, are very interesting and innovative in a lot of ways. Yeah. So yeah, they each have unique talents. And, um, um, for example, Johnny's father can see in the dark and there's another character. His brother can scale any walls. Johnny can make perfect maps of any landscape he passes through. And um, Eloise, um, her talent is described as that she can catch anything um, that's thrown at her. And so that's another thing, too, because um, the talents, the, the, the way in which they're described is really um, related to how they understand them and how they see themselves. Yeah. Right. So one that's kind of um, more amorphous is there's an aunt, an Aunt Simone, and the way Johnny describes his her talent, because it's mostly from his perspective, 
uh, is that she has the power to, at will, make herself appear to be the most beautiful woman anyone has ever seen, which is not necessarily an accurate um, description of yeah. her talent, but that's sort of like how he summarizes it because that's how it appears to him. Yeah. In the in the actual book, she actually is very, um, she's deploying her, her power. It has much more to do with persuasion and um, getting people to sort of like trust her and, and do like do what she wants them to do. It's a, it's more about per, a power of persuasion when yeah. you actually see how she interacts with other people. So the descriptions are not always totally accurate because um, they have to do with how other people perceive perceive them and sometimes how people perceive themselves. And that's very true of of um, the niece Eloise as well. No, that's interesting. And yeah. it reminds me of a, you had an article. Uh, and the Guardian about the book that was published recently, and you were talking about uh, history and the truth and the differences between. I think that kind of plays into that about people are labeled a certain way, right. but is that really what they are, and how the perception modifies that? Uh, could could you talk about that a little bit? Well, there's a whole um, there. There's a lot of um, Johnny, the main character, is 72 years old, so he's lived a really long and he's lived a long life and had lots of experiences by the time. Um, he meets his niece, and the actual book starts. So there's a lot of backstory. And also there's the fact that he is going to places from his past to to dig up money, that he's buried there because he's trying to pay off a debt. So the past comes up a lot. And um, there is a, a lot uh, A lot of it has to do with um, he was involved in a, a group called the Justice Committee in the 1960s and 19. Um, 70s, and at a certain point in, a bo- in the book, um, someone else, another member of the group, has has um, sort of a, a scrapbook, and you realize that what they did, what they were trying to do, has been largely excised from sort of recorded history, mm-hmm. and it's just all there in their um, memory. So that's probably one example of what that means, because I think that's a pretty common. Um, gesture. And it also does pertain to the idea of, of realism more, more generally. The, the idea that there is sort of like a, if you relate it to like a historic narrative, that there's sort of like, um, and I, this is the way things went, and there's like this progression. And, and actually, there are all these other things that probably happened. But if they don't relate to the primary narrative, they just become sort of anecdotes. That yeah. didn't really have anything to do with the sort of the progress of of history, and um, I think that um, I don't know that becomes a very biased account. And there's certainly a lot of African American history that has been excised from official narratives, or um, even just in general ideas about um, cultural identity in the United States more. More generally, yeah. and and so there in a, in a lot in that respect, that's why in part why that scene is there, and there are other references to to ideas like that. So she is this is like an oral history that she the Eloise is acquiring um, by being in the actual presence of um, of her ancestors in a sense. 
Yeah, no, no, I think that that's fascinating, mm. honestly, because I, I remember being in school and studying history and you'd get to like the 17 and 1800 and be like one little paragraph of this is what women did during this entire right, period. Right. And it's like, well, you know, I think they were throughout that a little bit more, but you have this collective memory or this narrative that doesn't uh, allow for that sometimes or a lot of times, actually. Yeah, it, yes. That's that's true. A lot does get left out and a lot, you know, and it's sometimes it's very difficult um, when things don't jive with the official narrative of of, of history or even like of the present. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of um, a bit a bit jarring. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's always been there. So interesting. Yeah. So that's that's part of what's going on in the book as well. No, oh, yeah. great. Uh, I was wondering if you could share a little bit of the book from, for us. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I was going to read, this is a little part, just because it talks about um, his his family and the, the powers and sort of his attitude and part of Johnny's struggle. I was going to read a really short sex, and it's really early on. Um, as I said, he has this debt, and he is trying to pay it off by digging up money that he's buried at in holes at various points in his past. And his first stop is to the um, childhood home of his deceased half-brother. Um, he has a half-brother who's 20 years younger than him. And when he gets there, he realizes he has a niece that he didn't know he's had um, named Eloise. And um, she can catch anything that's thrown at her, which sort of for him confirms that she is in fact a, um, a Rivkins. Um, so I was just going to read a really short passage and it's um it's after he's met her and um he sort of feels guilty he has to go back and pay off his debt um but he feels guilty about now that he knows she exists he has some sort of obligation to make sure she's okay so this is him deciding what he should do now that he has this new um sort of responsibility or sense of responsibility here so this is right after they he leaves their house um Johnny took his box and drove to Fort Myers. He got himself checked in at a motel, had a nice dinner, and then went to his room and counted his money. When he was certain he had what he needed to satisfy Melvin, he climbed into bed and clicked on the TV. He sat through two episodes of Law and Order and then switched to 24-hour news coverage of the upcoming election cycle. They were interviewing candidates running for Senate, and he happened to catch a few minutes of a man named Dawson droning on about his prospects. I know there were some who were surprised when I threw my hat back in the ring, given the fallout from my last campaign. But do you know I receive letters every day from people who need help, who need someone to stand up for them? So that's why I came back, because I was called. When he'd had enough of that, he turned off the TV and lay down on his bed, but he could not sleep. He tossed around for what seemed like hours, and every time he shut his eyes, he heard Meredith's voice. Just let them hit you in the head one time. Okay. <laughs> now, what kind of thinking was that? Yet he couldn't get it out of his mind. He looked up at the ceiling. It was hearing his people called peculiar that had him rattled, as if there was something wrong with them. If what Meredith said was true, then Eloise was gifted, unique. And Meredith was right. That was something a lot of folks in the family shared. Little sparks of something special that didn't seem to make much sense and had generally caused more confusion than anything else. Because not knowing what to do with these gifts, many of them had spent years trying to understand them, trying to figure out where they belonged and who they were. 
They were ribkins. He sat up. His father had been blessed and burdened with the ability to see in the dark. He had a cousin who spit firecrackers and whose daughter could talk to fish. Another cousin had a son whose one true joy was picking locks. And of course, his grandfather had that sense of smell, the source of his great wealth and eventual undoing. But it's where the name came from. The girl's great-grandfather was the original rib king, said to have invented the best barbecue sauce recipe in the entire Southeast. As a result of all his sniffing around after the theft of the recipe, he'd eventually felt compelled to hide. But he couldn't really let go. No one, Johnny had imagined, had ever had a better excuse to take an alias than his grandfather, but he wanted that tr trace of memory to remain. When they told stories, when they said it out loud, when they got to remembering who they were, and so they were the rib kins, born of the rib, still of the rib, and this here your flesh and bone. He stood up, walked to the dresser, and rifled through the motel stationery looking for an envelope. When he found one, he opened the toolbox, pulled out a few bills, and stuffed them inside. He put his hat back on. A ribkins. He owed a debt was all. And that might have changed his circumstances, but it couldn't change who he was. So that, that's him deciding he has to go back and honor his responsibility to his brother's child. Yeah. He can't just leave her. No, I, I think that's great. I, I love those lines about the ribkin, you know, born of the rib. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic. Um, in the book, it, you get to basically take a, a road trip with these characters through Florida to a bunch of different locations. And uh, you grew up in Florida, partly. Well, yes, my, my grandparents did live there, so I would go there every summer. And yeah. did you take a lot of trips yourself down across the state? I did. I, I traveled I, with my grandfather, actually, I did quite yeah. a bit. So. How was uh, revisiting like these locales, like on this very like personal level, as well as like having to write about them? A lot of them are still very, very familiar and very present in my in my life. I was telling someone there is um, I, I didn't mean to do it quite so accurately, but there <laughs> actually are driving directions that lead directly to one of my uncle's houses <laughs> in the book. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. So, yeah, no, they're, it, they're, they're still very present um, in my life. I have a, um, an uncle that I'm very close with that lives in Florida as well, and my mother lives actually in my grandparents' house now. So I, I still go there quite a bit. No, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, who are some of the writers that have influenced you the most? Um... I've been influenced by a great uh, many writers. I, I would say the, the writer that influenced me the most was, was definitely Toni Morrison. So, um, and um, I, I actually do still remember when I first read her novels because I read one and I was like, oh my gosh. And I read all of them that had been published at the time. And um, I was just really amazed. Yeah. I was so amazed. And it was the um, language that really struck me and also the, the way in which she dealt with her subject matter. It was so striking to me at the time. And uh, I think that was when I first um, really thought, oh, I, I want to I wanna write. It was very, um, maybe I didn't think it that clearly actually yeah. at the time. <laughs> I was just really moved by it. Yeah. So she was definitely the, the biggest influence. I could, I could see that. Uh, do you have a favorite novel of hers? 
Um, I yeah. Well, they change, but yeah. I I really I like Song of Solomon. Okay, that's yeah. a that's a great, great yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm preferential towards Sula myself. Yeah, but, I was I was thinking about that yeah. too. So, um, yeah, yeah. She she definitely was a huge influence on me. No, I think that that's great. Uh, to kind of get into a little bit of your work outside of writing, uh, what exactly do you teach at Tulane University? Well, right now I'm teaching a class on Afrofuturism. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, we're reading um, a lot of um, African-American science fiction and also um, um, surrealist novels, and then also talking about music and, and film as well. Okay, so, awesome. Is there... Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Great. Is there any uh, part of the syllabus that you're super excited to get to? Well, I, this week we're, we're talking about is a book by Ishmael Reed called Mumbo Jumbo. <laughs> that we're talking about <laughs> tomorrow and it really is a it's a great book it's a very unique um book so i'm i'm pretty happy to to be talking about that oh, so, yeah well yeah. lady I, I have one more question for you before we go okay. um what are you reading right now and also are you working on any projects that are going to be coming out soon yeah well my reading at the moment because um is, is pretty much confined to the, the books I've been reading for this class. It's been a pretty um, busy past few months. Um, but yeah, and I'm also am trying to work on a, another novel and uh, in a collection of short stories. So Great. Anything yeah. you can tell us about them or is it still in the, the keep quiet stages? No, I mean, the, the novel is, is actually, I, he was talking about his grandfather in there, the Rib King. I, I, I have a novel about the grandfather. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not really, it's weird to call it a prequel because it's so, it's very, very different, yeah. but it's, it's about his, um, his life and, and he winds up, um, he, he's the, he becomes the, the face on the label for this sauce. It's like a meat sauce that he, he creates and he travels the country giving cooking demonstrations <laughs> as the rib king. It's been very fun to work on it. When I can, I really love working on it. But it is, it's a really different book. So, yeah. I'm excited for that. Though. Thank you. Well, this Thank was you. a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, it was really nice talking to you. That was Tulane professor and author Lady Hubbard, whose debut novel is The Talented Ripkins. It is out now. And that's the end of our show. You've been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. now, as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. As always, you can find this interview as well as all of WRBH's other interview programs on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.